Hello, hello, and welcome to Secrets of the Pact Worlds, which is our Starfinder lore Q&A. Today we're going to be answering all of your burning questions about the Starfinder setting, its stories, its characters, and more. So uh, certainly it's a huge setting, and I ain't going to be able to cover all this on my own, so I'm joined by some fantastically informed guests today. Uh, I'll go ahead and let them introduce themselves, starting with Kate. Hi! I'm Kate Baker. I'm a freelance author who's done a lot of Starfinder work. I've written for um, Starfinder Society. I, I've written uh, for two of the Starfinder APs, um, both Attack of the Swarm and the upcoming Horizons of the Vast. Uh, and I've written for many of the hardcovers. So I, I have definitely uh, touched a lot of parts of the galaxy. All right. Sounds like Kate has this panel well in hand. Uh, Jake, tell us about yourself. <laughs> you don't go home now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know, exactly. I'm, I'm Jason Tondro, but because there's three Jasons in this company, uh, you can call me Jake. Uh, I, I'm a Starfinder developer. I work on Adventure Paths uh, with Jason Keeley. Uh, and I've written um, three Starfinder Adventure Path volumes, uh, about three uh, OP scenarios I contributed to a bunch of our hardbacks, um, like Galactic Magic and Tech Revolution and other stuff, Galactic Ma um, uh, Galaxy Exploration Manual, uh, and all kinds of cool stuff. So yeah, uh, do my best. <laughs> and I'm John Compton. I'm Starfinder Senior Developer. Uh, I have joined the team about 18 months ago after doing a lot of organized play. So I have a bunch of Starfinder Society experience and I work on our hardcover book lines now. I've done a little bit of venture writing as well for Starfinder. Um, so throughout the course of this panel, we're going to be taking uh, questions from not only the Twitch uh, stream chat where you can be posting your questions and I'll be uh, spotting them and pulling them into my big list, as well as a whole bunch of questions that we have taken from uh, throughout PaizoCon. People have been posting their burning lore questions. Uh, so we're going to be going through some of those as well. So please do keep on posting and I'll keep an eye out. Uh, let's go ahead and start off with a little bit of uh, some early Starfinder canon, in fact, because uh, organized play really helped to set a lot of the early story for uh, stories out in the vast with season one. Uh, Matt Daly asks, in the first year of Starfinder Society, was the painting of Kadrakal as a tyrant and oppressive deity intentional? Is the Jinsil's dedication to an abusive overlord intended to be a cultural flaw? Just as a quick uh, bit of context, Kadrakal is a, is a deity that is tied to an area called the Scoured Stars. And is tied into this group called the Jinsels, which are angry, angry crab people. Let's let's go with that. Uh, so, so let's go ahead and jump in from there. And Scoured Stars is being played right now, right? Isn't there like a live play of Scoured Stars right now? There is, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. so Scoured yeah, Stars is just wrapping up. It was a ten-episode series, I believe. Um, so I can I can give a little bit of information about uh, this from from the background of helping create that storyline. Um, Kadrakal is lawful neutral, and lawful neutral has a history as an alignment of being something that is seen as anything from mechanically efficient to cruelly tyrannical, depending upon who you ask. Um, but Kadrakal certainly is kind of an overbearing deity. And so did this instill some really deep psychological scars in the Jinsels that cause them to basically reach out to anybody, <laughs> any abusive overlord possible? Yeah, could be. Um, I, I think that there's, Kadrakal is not a perfect figure. Kadrakal is a flawed individual. 
Um, and, and the storyline really explores a lot of that. Yeah, we do have the, uh, the different heralds of, of Cadrical who sort of represent those different aspects. And, uh, oh boy, the, uh, the gentles themselves uh, were following uh, uh, Juris, who uh, has maybe an extreme point of view. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, jump into. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Uh, from Amon Everstorm, what does a Kasatha's face look like under the mask? Namely, do they have mouths? Also, what is the reason that they wear masks and don't let outsiders see their faces? Yeah. So I got to write the Kasatha chapter for Character Operations Manual, uh, and and. And I, we got to give them some mechanical feats that relate to their mask. Like maybe you're really hard to sense motive on if, you, if you're if you a Kasatha with your mask on all the time, right? Or maybe you've got like a custom mask that's got some kind of voice synthesizer in it so you can't be identified as easily. So I wanted to create some mechanical things to give that cultural object some game weight, you know, as well as a lore, lore weight. I, I, we have not revealed the answers to any of these questions. I mean, it's a mask for a reason, folks, right? Like, I mean, if, it, if you, we know what's underneath it, then then that sort of eliminates the whole point of the mask. Um, I, I mean, my, John, you, can, you can correct me, but I don't, I believe we have not said why, we don't, we don't, we have not said why they wear masks. We have not said what a Kasatha's face looks like underneath it. Many people point to one page in, is it Character Operations Manual? It's Character Operations Manual. That, that in, in early printings of that book, there's a Kasatha, what looks like a Kasatha, missing a face mask. Well, that's clearly an Astrozoan pretending to be a Kasatha and not rolling their culture check or their society check right, right? Like not, not understanding what, uh, what, what a Kasatha really, really does. But in current printings of that book, you'll find that the mask has been replaced and that Astrozoan has been kicked out in favor of the actual Kasatha who he's impersonating. Um, but every uh, one of our no, pieces of art tells a story. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Uh, no, no, we, we have we have intentionally left these things unspoken because we want Kasathans are big on mystery. Like they're they had this sort of enigmatic, really complex ritualistic culture, and they have a lot of taboos and things that they don't talk about and things that they don't do. And and any anything that we gave to explain why they wear the mask would make the mask less mysterious. And so as part of our, it's for, for a very specific reason, we're, we're not, we, we don't do that. And do they have mouths? Well, they produce noise. They can, they have a language that other people can learn. So it, it's got, so probably, <laughs> you know. What, what, one thing they, they, could one. One. they could have more than one. They could. They could have more than one. It's like for like, you know, Pizer like, shirts, where it's like helpful to have an undershirt to keep cool. Um, <laughs> might as well have that second mask. Uh, one thing I like, can point out is that uh, <laughs> one thing I can point out is that witch weirds, uh, which helped to steer early Kasatha uh, development and culture, also cover their faces, and so there might be some some part of that taboo that was adopted or perhaps even twisted in some way, um, it, where the witch weirds were just like. We tend not to show our faces, and the Kasatha is right. You got it. Never show your face. And like, whoa, 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 that's a little bit too much. Uh, this could be part of the so, great forearm conspiracy theory, right? That um, absolutely that, that the Wicked Weirds, the Showbads, and the Kasathans, and various other forearm species 
are all in on it. And the show bads, because they don't wear masks, are clearly the apostate. Like, we kick them out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. So let's grab. All right. From GMJ or JJL, are all high despots of the Viscarium basically badass in combat or high level NPCs? Because we really don't do a lot of posting uh, NPC levels like uh, Pathfinder first edition books tended to do. So there is some yeah. left to the imagination. Um, and that's partly to keep them flexible. So if you want to have a ninth level campaign where you do punch a high despot, fine, go for it. If you want to play 20th level, sure. That's exactly right. I was an editor. And I remember what, when one of the first things I noticed as I was editing the Starfinder adventure, I think it was one of the against the Aeon Thrones, is, hey, how come we never list level in the micro stat blocks like we do on Pathfinder? Why isn't this guy a, a Vesk Soldier 7? Right. And I actually tried to lobby to get it changed. And the Starfinder team quickly shot me down. Like, no, 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 no. We want it this way. We do this way on purpose so that the GM can set the level at whatever they need it to be for the campaign. And I have really come to see the wisdom of that. Um, I think that without a doubt, you, you don't get to be a high despot if you can't hold your own in single combat. Right. Like, I don't know if they're all super badass 12th level, you know, monsters, but there's a certain floor. <laughs> they definitely could not be, you know, they, you can't be under a certain amount of combat ability. But that doesn't necessarily mean a particular level. Um, I think a character like that could, you could, you could earn that respect based on your relative ability, I think. Um, I don't know, that's just my, that's just my guess. I feel like there's got to be a level of political machination you need to. So, you know, sure. yeah, that floor for, for you got to be at least decent and you got to know how to hold your doshko, right? But, uh, <laughs> but like beyond that, you know, some of them are probably uh, really good at scheming more so than, than being the most powerful uh, warrior out there. Also, I think there's a chance that their, their combat abilities would decrease with age, right? Mm. Like, you could be a badass and that's how you got to be a high despot, but now you've been running the house for 10 years and how often do you get a chance to brush up on your combat skills, right? Like, so you, there might be a, a way there. And that's something that a game mechanic doesn't really represent. Well, if you have to give everybody a level, like we say, okay, you got to be 12th level, but now your skills have deteriorated. So now you're what, like seventh? Like that's something that PCs never do. So by not giving it a level number, we can, we can give you the combat ability that your GM wants you to have. The idea of decaying combat abilities combined mm -hmm. with Vescarium, combined with the sense that Vescarium has its own like artistic culture, right. really just makes me imagine that there's like the equivalent of death of a salesman, but for a uh, high despot in the Vescarium, where it's like, I've been ruling for 25 years, and I used to be a fighter, a real fighter. Right, what yeah, do you even do anymore? Yeah. You, have two, you have these two uh, children being like, we shouldn't be here writing papers. We should be out there doing classic, like, <laughs> Vescarium manly things, like swinging an axe at people. Uh, when you, when, yeah, yeah that would be a great story. Like, when you look at the Vescarium and you realize they've only, they've, they have been at war for their entire history, except for, like, two periods, and we're in one of them. Mm. Like, how long can it last? Like, yeah. And there's got to be that, that, will, that story, that Death of a Salesman story, is probably told at every dining table in the Vescarium. 
<laughs> yeah. Up here, we, up here we have the Grand Vescarium map for a sec where we are seeing all of the very cleverly named, practically named Vescarium planets. <laughs> uh, and, and this kind of speaks to the point of like the Vesk are very practical. Um, so are all of the people high level, are all of them great combatants? The answer is kind of leans toward they're good at something. Uh, so they're yeah, fantastic. I, all I have to say is, is there's really one one of these planets is not like the others, right? Like one of the best five is clearly the one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Uh, so I see um, I see another one from GMJL that feels really really fun and provocative uh, because it is: Do planar creatures on the on other planes still use archaic equipment uh, or? especially when they're dealing with less technologically advanced societies. So we have like angels and pathfinders and they're all like sword, sword, spear, axe. And now we have angels and they're like plasma rifle. Um, so is this sort of a universal expression across the galaxy? Is this, is this only around technologically advanced societies? Kate, what do you think? I don't know. It's a really fun question. Um, I, I, I do sort of love the idea of, the you know angels with machine guns showing up on a on a less technologically advanced uh, <laughs> planet. <laughs> People there just have no idea what's happening. But <laughs> that that does bring a new meaning to the aura of menace for an archon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, you know that being said, um, in uh, in in Alien Archive two, I wrote some Azadas who uh, definitely uh, the Trinidaires who who definitely go around to all kinds of planets and and there's legends of them on all those planets and I was certainly picturing that they sort of look the same every time they, they don't have like the big machine guns but they've got their own high-tech stuff so yeah i would i would say that they're just they're with the times they're they're keeping up with the latest technology and and uh and and bring it with them where they go yeah we've when we create angels and demons and other outsiders for starfinder we often lean into the science to make new and interesting creations that aren't in Pathfinder. So you get like the hacker devil, for example. Um, but, but the answer to your question is to figure out what is the objective of the outsider in question, right? Mm -hmm. Because if they're here to like kick ass and take souls, then yes, they're going to whip out the Gatling machine gun, the Vorpal Gatling <laughs> machine gun. And I say that because that's what my bad dude has in Assault in the Crucible, right? He's like that freak <laughs> with the Vorpal, the Vorpal Gatling gun. But but if they're here to like spread the faith or whatever, then no, right? Like they're gonna they're gonna try to use tools and items that the culture is gonna identify with, and they're gonna want to seem nonviolent or or blend in, right? So ask yourself about the objective. Those those high tech things are available to those outsiders, but whether or not they choose to use them is gonna be the right tool for the right job, right? I think that blending point is really good because if you have that angel just to show up, do you want people focusing on the justice or the fact that it's using some sort of right. weird technology? Yeah, it's like, yeah, so yeah, what did we learn? That lasers are cool. <laughs> no, it's like we treat people fairly. And the lasers are cool. Um, you know, the so, lasers are uh, so cool. <laughs> oh, nobody listens to us anymore. <laughs> just wipe out the planet. Um, <laughs> So uh, yeah, there's definitely that. But I think also uh, another point to the question is that uh, just because the Pact Worlds has this level of technology now doesn't mean that this is the only level of technology that's ever existed. We have like the Civs and the Kishalis that 
had right. this level of technology a million years ago. So where were the angels then? Um, yeah. What were they doing? Yeah. So it, it it seems to just be sort of a packed world centric or, or art galaxy centric sort of manifestation. Uh, okay, so less esoteric one. Where would one find kobolds in Starfinder? And did the sewer dragons make it off Galarian before it got yeeted out of existence? <laughs> I, I I feel like they got off. The, the sewer dragons, they are survivors. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the theme of kobolds for as long as they've been in our hobby, right? Is that they are survivors. Somehow they make it. Against all odds, they make it, yeah. Uh, well, this is exactly what something we should address because kobolds show up in the character cards. Yeah, yeah. Is that right? Our recent, yeah. uh, our, our recent species deck, yep. Kobolds and I think gnolls uh, and Gripley and Kitsune. Did I get those right? And Samsarans. And Samsarans. So we get, we get these cards and they give you racial traits, but they don't really put those species into context. I mean, not even a one-page alien archive entry. And that's a shame. Like we, we need to figure out how those creatures fit into Starfinder society, Pact World society. And we haven't we haven't given that answer yet, but but I think that player and if we don't, the longer we don't, the quicker players are gonna figure it out for themselves. They're gonna come up with their own answers, which which is not bad. But as game developers, we kind of feel like we we kind of owe answers to that question. So this is a good question and we should answer it in print. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I suspect they have some presence within the packed worlds. One thing that we do have to do anytime that we as developers are fitting a new species into an existing area or, or star system is watch out for uh, conceptual overlap. So, for example, yeah. if we're placing kobolds in the packed worlds, I probably would not put them on Akaton uh, because we already have the Keshti, which are size small, little lizard yeah. folk people that yeah. sure look like kobolds so uh, i would not yeah. want them side by side because it would create brand confusion but if we were to yeah, throw kobolds sure. onto abalon for some for some reason then they wouldn't <laughs> fit right in but they would stand out in a good way yeah for sure yeah or put them on castro or something or Versys. yeah yeah totally the lashuntas will love that uh, okay <laughs> yeah so, <laughs> you know Triaxis would be a great home for them because they'd be surrounded oh, right. by dragons they, they, well, then we have that yes. blended thing. Yes. If we do it right, if we do it right, yeah. then yeah, the way that the kobolds treat the dragon kin becomes a way to make those two species more interesting rather than less interesting. It's a good point. I like that. <laughs> I love the idea that the kobolds show up on Triaxis and they're like, "Yay, dragons!" And all the dragons are like, "We hate you. We never liked you." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like round piteously, and they're like, "Yay, dragon kin!" And the dragon kin are like, "We need bothered companions. So welcome to the family." And like, "Yay, finally we're validated." <laughs> Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, so, <clears throat> um, this is more of a broad speculative question tied into this uh, from Toradin three four one. What other Pathfinder species might wait make their way to Starfinder? Like, what else do we want? What What else would be exciting for us to pick up from Pathfinder that isn't already explicitly in Starfinder? And be like, here you go. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna throw the grenade, but I'm gonna wait for Kate to go first. Because oh, <laughs> <no. laughs> oh, Jake is cooking the grenade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um I'm not I'm not sure if I have a great answer. Um, you know, uh, one of the, the 
recent ones from, uh, I think it was an ancestry guide that I really like are the flesh warps. And I think those would fit into Starfinder super nicely because, you know, who, who doesn't want a Frankenstein in their, in their sci-fi settings. So um, that, that's a, 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 a creature who I think would be a really natural fit to, to put into Starfinder who, who there, there's certainly lots of, you know, uh, uh, examples of that that kind of of creature in there, but not just like as a as a as a um, ancestry or race that that um, you can play. Well, it's interesting because like a lot of those, I mean, we we covered a lot of them, right? Like all the mm -hmm. geniekins and all the outsiders and 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 like and a lot of the ones that we don't have, like uh, what do we call lizard folk now? They have their own name. Erexi. Erexi, yeah. Them. Like, as John was saying, like, it kind of overlaps with all the other lizard people we've already got in the setting, right? Like, there's not a whole lot of design space for lizard folk in, in, in Starfinder. The species that we have not brought over are the ones that are really unique to Pathfinder, right? And maybe we shouldn't bring them over because they're part of the Pathfinder brand like leshies right like leshies are a huge deal in pathfinder and and eleanor you know eleanor has and louise have done incre incredible things with them well so we shouldn't take that right we should we should not we should let that stay part of the pathfinder thing but void pugs uh uh <laughs> we could still get i want space shooters because i want I want to have space shooties in my Starfinder AP, and if you tell me no, I'll just put them into a back my article anyway. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! <laughs> well, I, I'm sure that will come as uh, as some some solace to mediocre gamer who had been preemptively asking about so-called void pugs or space shooties. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'm I'm already responsible for the. Uh the space walrus people. So I think that's my space one walrus. animal, animal alien I'm allowed to put in. <laughs> you, you know, we, we have it. had a, we've long had an unofficial rule about like, you can only have one name, uh, one proper name in your entire career that has a, uh, an apostrophe <laughs> in it um, without truly understanding glottal stops. And so like, <laughs> I think you got your one animal uh, species in there, yep. Kate. Yep. <laughs> I, I made it count. That's right. Yeah, you did. Did. <laughs> did I tell you one of my recurring NPCs in Flight for Dot was going to be the walrus, but but the but the authors said like yeah the, the Shan who became the otter person like the Braneri, she oh, was originally a, so she was originally a walrus person and and the authors were like Can, do, do they have to be a walrus? Can they be something else? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Sorry. No, those are the people we don't bring back. <laughs> yeah. But, but Rob, Rob was like, okay, you can have one walrus person. And I'm like, but she has a daughter who's an NPC, so I get two. Look, we, we have very clear protocols here. You can't have two walrus people, but if you want to have your Morlema adopt an uplifted bear child, you can. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. Call. That's where we draw the line. Brown family wins. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, let's go for a slightly deeper one, uh, one that involves a little bit more metaphysical. Uh, Alex Agunas asks, what factors keep a deity from spreading its faith between planets? For example, Demoratash is pretty localized in the Vesk system. 
but he's referred in a couple other places. What is stopping him from spreading influence into the Pact Worlds prior to the Silent War? Yeah. John, what do you, you th you've been thinking about this a little bit. I, I, I'm curious what you think. Uh, so uh, with, a with something like this, I the first thing that I consider for any deity is that although they exist across all space and, and across the whole multiverse, when you're like a full deity, like Demoratash, um, yep. you still have, your areas of influence can still reflect how you do business. So mm -hmm. if you are um, like Ibra, where you are about the mysteries of the galaxy and you just want to exist in every mystery of the galaxy simultaneously, that's your business. Um, mm -hmm. But when it comes to somebody like Demoratash, who seems to have even had origins with the Vescarium. Um, I think that part's kind of unclear, but it might be that uh, Demortosh basically was like, I will one day conquer the entire multiverse, but I want to ensure that it is in fact conquest and not just showing up somewhere and being like, hey, would anybody please adopt me here in the Pact Worlds? Oh, I see you already have, according to Pathfinder Wiki, 53 <laughs> deities with the war domain. I'll come back later. Uh, you know? but, so so I, I feel that there's sort of a, there's a uh, almost psychological and theological control valve that, that, all, that affects how a deity does spread. In the case of Demaratash, I feel that the Vescarium and any of their affiliates really have to be kind of carrying Demortash on their back and, and the faith to other places. Uh, and one, once it spreads from there, that's fine. But but Demortash feels like Demortash has to work for this. Um, so I, really want I think you can apply yeah. that logic to a lot of other deities as well. I really want to see other worlds who have encountered Demortash and but on maybe under a different name or who think of Demoratosh as being one of their own species rather than a Vesk. And I think there's a lot of ways that we can get that kind of synchroneticism uh, going. Help me out, John. What's the name? What's the word I'm thinking of? The synchronicity? Yeah. Well, no, not synchronicity, but that when, when, when multiple religions have different gods oh, of war for and, and, and one faith kind of absorbs the other faith's god of war, right? The way that the Romans absorbed the Greek gods for example you and we could we, we have a lot of potential for that i would love to, to find that like so like you know we create like a maybe we create a new planet in the in the the vast where they're conquering all of their neighbors and they worship demortosh but they don't call demortosh demortosh they call them like a different name or her a different name and they imagine them as being one of themselves and then the vesk show up and demortosh is like hey that's me and and, and they just you know <laughs> words you know um, no, no, uh, so this a, time you don't have yeah. to fight each other. You, you both <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. <laughs> well, go so and, go and fight somebody like else. Yeah, like, you know, maybe the Vascarium invades one system and then the, these other people invade from the other side and they find out all along at the end of it that they've all been working for the same goal all along. It'd be interesting. That'd be fantastic. Uh, another storyline that I could see for Demoratosh, because we haven't really defined his, his origins. I'm tickled yeah. by the idea that the Maratash has gone through several phases of growth and that the Vescarium and its expansion is just the most recent one. Right. I would, yeah. It would be so delightful uh, as for an adventure to go to a, a planet in the vast and find that there is ancient, ancient Demoratash worship, but they don't know him as the conqueror. They know yeah. him as the defeated one. 
And yeah. there has not been Demoratosh worship on this place for tens of thousands of years. But the Vescarium is bringing it back and like they've been given all these signs that they need to conquer this planet. And they're like, well, it's <laughs> clearly strategically important. No, it's a grudge match because no. this is where Demoratosh was like born and where he ran with his tail between his legs. And he's a god now. Gosh, dang it. He's going to go back there and show he's an adult. Uh, I got my whole society here to kick your butts. Burr. Um, yeah, I like those stories. Yeah, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of interesting stuff we could do with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, ba -ba 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 -ba. What is another one? All right. Jim uh, JJL asks: Is there an obvious element in Starfinder that definitely makes it an alternate reality and not just a possible future for Pathfinder? So just something that, so I, that I, makes it to, to, to rephrase was, the question. Uh, yeah. One, one way we can look at Starfinder is to say, this is a natural continuation of the Pathfinder uh, setting. Another way that it can be viewed is that either a combination of the gap or anything else made it so that this is in fact a completely divergent future. So it's not the Pathfinder canonical future. It is a, a new possibility that's split off somehow. Um, so I think GM JJL is asking, are there things that in Starfinder that would indicate the second uh, possibility over the first one? Okay. I'm passing. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I, I'll say I'm, I'm very interested. Uh, there have been, I, I, discussions that this year's um, organized play specials, the Pathfinder and Starfinder Society specials are yep. going to be linked, yeah. that something in one will affect the other. Um, and while I had no part in either of those, I cannot wait to see how. And uh, maybe that'll give yeah. us give us some hints on, uh, you know, if, if the people in the Pathfinder Society special are actually doing something that affects the Starfinder Society special. Um, yeah, maybe that'll... That maybe would that'll fuel the conspiracies online. Yes. <laughs> 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 I kind of feel like maybe we should take this opportunity just to remind everybody why we have the gap in the first place, right? <laughs> like the Starfinder, not not in the setting, but as game makers, right? Okay, so here we are. We're doing Starfinder. Star. And. and um, and I, I think that's why you don't have magic as if, if we if we made it as common as technology, it would become less magical. That makes sense. Yeah, I think there's a lot to that. And and one one thing that we do go into when it comes to technology or items in particular, because saying technology is a little weird in this in this dichotomy, is that uh, there are little magical components in a lot of everyday devices. And to an extent, one of the things this does is help to bridge that that logic gap between what our technology can do now in the real world yeah. and what our technology is apparently doing now. It's like, hot diggity damn, this laser pistol weighs like one pound and can fire holes through a solid steel wall. Uh, yeah. How does it do that? Well, that you understand it has a magical capacitor. Oh, okay, a magical capacitor. Like there's a little yeah. bit of that that's going on um, as opposed to needing a you know, 80 pound backpack for one shot. 
<laughs> another thing that we have to keep in mind as we describe this setting and as we play in the setting is that the most important culturally transformative thing in Starfinder is 100% technology driven. And of course, I'm talking about the drift, right? Like the thing that makes interstellar society possible cannot be done with magic. If you're a kid and you want to study magic, your parents are like, no, Johnny, like get a real job, right? Like everybody knows the majors in technology. Yeah, I want to work and, in games though. But yeah, so, so think, think about the internet and, and the way that online life has transformed our society. Imagine if, if the internet, imagine if we lived in a world where there was magic and technology, but magic could not use the internet, right? Like, Everybody would be moving. It's kind of like the liberal arts, right? Like, you know, like, well, why study English when you can become a, you know, a computer scientist? And and that's basically like the fate of magic in, in Starfinder. You know, you're like the liberal arts student in a in a um, uh, science and technology universe. Yeah, and and as as uh, Jake mentioned at the beginning, um, there is more about this that's coming out in Tech Revolution. And especially uh, this last part that we've been talking about uh, coming out in Galactic Magic, both of these books are using a solid amount of page space to explore the state of technology, the state of magic, and the ways that different components of it are viewed and have evolved. Um, so we're really looking forward to having that bit of world building out in the wild. Uh, but that that's later this year. <laughs> All right. Speaking of stuff that's coming up later, uh, let's get a quicker one. GM Kishmo asks, is Shadow Absalom still a thing? Is Shadow Galarian still a thing for that matter? Or are they both missing? Well, we did some research on this before the, the panel started. <laughs> what did we right. find out? Well, we so, so there's a Shadow Absalom station. So Absalom is not Absalom's gone from the from the shadow plane, and there's a shadow Absalom station instead, which is a mirror image, a darkly inverted mirror image of the actual actual Absalom station. So there's your answer, and that's all in the article, right? Like the answers to this are right there in an article that came out in the Signal of Screams AP, all about travel in the shadow plane, and um, uh, I forget what volume is that eight? No. It's got to uh, be. That would have been uh, t 12. 12. 12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Matt Daly and uh, also later on a user by the name of S. Sims 2. Uh, what were the last events in the Pact World's recorded history prior to the start of the gap? Do we know the year that the gap starts? Um, I'm just going to address this one uh, quick riffing off of some of the stuff that we said earlier. Uh, so the gap exists in part as a tool to help to separate what our Pathfinder and Starfinder developers need to necessarily uh, do to, to fit their settings into the other uh, group's settings. So the, um, the exact date of when the gap starts is a little squidgy. The exact date of when it would have ended in comparison to the Pathfinder universe, also kind of squidgy. There's yeah. an implication that the gap was probably in the realm of thousand thousands of years but eh. um also i i think we i think we've established that the gap starts at different times in different parts of the galaxy there's at least some flexibility there so 
if we yeah. assign an arbitrary date, you know, like the year 5000 or whatever, well, that might be true in one part of the galaxy, but it might be 5001 or 5002 or 4998 somewhere else. Long story short, this is not an excuse to say, well, the gap started in, uh, you know, 2021. So you can just tell your yeah. GM that nothing that happens matters anymore because nobody's going to remember <laughs> uh, <Right. laughs> not how this works. Uh, all right. Oh, uh, so since we've done a little bit of work with Galactic Magic, but also because we work with, you know, divinities in various adventures, uh, GM JJL asks, are there any demigods or lesser divinities hanging out on the material plane in Starfinder? Kind of like how Tree Razor was often stomping oh. in Tanglebriar. Gosh, I hope so. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, cause that, that's a great idea. Like we should totally bring in some of those guys and make them, have them show up as like an AP baddie or, or a PC patron or something. That's a great idea. Yeah. One, one that, uh, does jump out to me having done uh, a little bit of research for various deities was that, uh, we have one of our Fey eldest who was mentioned as like named Aphelene, who's mentioned as being like left the first world lives in stars. And yeah, I mean, that sure is a hobby. Um, I, I don't know what that does for that, uh, eldest, but, um, so, so one of the considerations is not only do you have living demigods and the like living on like conventional worlds, but do you have weird environments and worlds and places that you can't even necessarily bug these people that are nonetheless on the material plane that they are living in? Mm -hmm. um, and the answer to the latter one is almost certainly yes. And, and we have a lot of room here for like local demigods, right? Like the demigod of one mm -hmm. planet. Or, or that yeah. which we haven't really gotten into. We don't have. We, I think we get into some of it a little bit in Gods and Magic, don't we? I mean, I mean, Galactic Magic. The little, little bit. Yep. Things. We we have some yeah. wild, wild new information coming on that book. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, like we we do these Codex of Worlds entries in the back of every Adventure Path volume. I would love to do one that has like a local deity as part of the planet's description, you know, and like let's give them some stats or something. Absolutely. Uh, okay, uh, Shatrayu asks, now that mech rules are a thing in Starfinder, what planets and societies have this technology, or have had oh. this technology all along, and why have we not seen them before now, aside from on Daimalco? Okay, well, oh, if you hear that whining in the back, that's my dog that wants to go for a walk. <laughs> um, oh. I know, she, she's like, yeah. Um, the answer to the first question, <laughs> Is, is everybody's got mechs and they're awesome. Like we can't wait to share the art because like there's so many factions. There's all these different factions in Path in Starfinder. You know, like the the the, the Corpse Fleet and the Xeno Wardens and Abadar Corp and the Stewards. And so we got Kent, our our concept artist, to come in and draw mechs for all of them. And they they blew our minds. Like if you could have been in that in that meeting. But he's just showing us like one mind blowing picture after another. And we're like, holy crap, this is awesome. So everybody's got Max. Now, why have we not seen them? Well, you know, why did the why does Spider-Man not show up whenever the Avengers are saving the world? Because they because they're off of their own stories, you know, like we, we, we weren't telling the next story. We were telling some other story. But but mm -hmm. but we, we want to get the mechs to show up now, now that we have them as part of our toolbox. Mm -hmm. We do want to bring them into the stories and you'll get to see them and use them. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think there was any great law. Like there was no 
uh, anti-mech prohibition ruling of you know the, uh, of the mech worlds. Now getting rid of them. No. They were there the whole time, but people were using them for really mundane purposes that weren't interesting. Yeah, exactly. They were there the whole time. Yeah. We didn't tell you that they didn't use mechs in the Silent War yeah. or to fight off these. Like, we didn't say they didn't, so maybe they did. One of, uh, one of the considerations uh, is that mech technology is not a single unified technology. So there mm -hmm. are many, sort of like um, all sorts of different set systems and worlds could have invented their own infospheres. There are lots of different ways to have made something that is vaguely mech-like function. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and mech really functions as a category of conveyance, much like vehicle, where we have exploration buggies and we have That's zeppelins. Right. Like, these are vastly different technologies. Um, yeah. So you're going to find, like, again, like some weird Xeno Warden Corpse Fleet uh, mechs, but you're also going to find classic style mechs like the stewards have uh, very i'll call them traditional looking mechs uh that capture some yeah. some classic notes um so there's that um i forget exactly how much of it made it into tech revolution for the origins of certain mech technologies but one of the things we were playing around with early on uh was the idea that um the pact worlds did not invent or derive its own mech technology but it got it from elsewhere much like how the right. Viscarium did not have uh, drift travel until the Pact World showed up and was like, hey guys, who wants hyperspace? Um, that the Viscarium <laughs> developed mech technology and was like, we use this to stomp on people. It's great. And the Pact World was like, tell us more. Um, and so <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm personally intrigued by the idea that like during the Silent War, the Viscarium had mech technology and won some early battles and then the pact worlds was like we need this like what what can we do to take this technology and adapt it yeah um that's a really good idea because the is the islanti empire star empire kind of had their eon stone technology thing going on it'd be really interesting if we could kind of take this huge technology bucket and give each of these three governments kind of their own pocket right like so the Vescarium invent mechs and they kind of just, they really refine the technology and that's how they conquered all the planets in the Vescarium. And, 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 and then when the Pactworlds encountered them, they, they, they traded drift technology for mech technology. Kind of reminds me of the old Klingons get the cloaking device from the Romulan stuff, you know, in Star Trek. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. We should do that. Uh, and, and a lot of... Uh... I can imagine a lot of in industrial espionage here too with, with stealing yeah, of these things for and sure. reverse engineering yeah, them. And yeah. once you see it, like, Oh, we, we could do that. <laughs> we can make that happen. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to give up their max without a fight. Are you kidding? It's the vest. <laughs> yeah. or, or they're like, wow, they made this technology work. Yeah. But they use it using this inefficient mechanism. Why? Uh, hang on. <laughs> give us a year. <laughs> like we can make this way better. <laughs> All right, uh, let's see. Uh, Yunki asks, so do the Starfinder deities still have heralds like the Pathfinder deities did? If so, are the heralds well known in the Pact worlds or are they secretive and mythical beings that no one really sees? So just for context, heralds are like these CR15 uh, creatures from Pathfinder First Edition, which were like the right hand outsider of any particular deity. Um, so when they showed up, you're like, I guess we really are hearing from Caden Kalian. Um, does, does level of Black Butterfly a herald, or is she a goddess of is she? 
She's no. a separate deity. Um, she's like the shadow that Desna saw and was like, that's weird. And then the weird shadow was like, I'm weird. And then flew off. <laughs> <laughs> like, Desna, Desna has, has an issue with her hobby of making yeah. deities. Um, well, I, I mentioned it earlier with the Cadrical question, but we, we know that Cadrical has has heralds over in, in the Scoured Stars. So um, that yeah, doesn't I, necessarily I, prove anything about the Pact World's deities. But I think there's really two reasons why you haven't seen heralds yet. I mean, they've got to be there, right? Like, why would we say no? Why would we not have heralds, right? But one of the big challenges with the Starfinder setting is that it is so big. Like there's just simply so much to detail. There's all of these planets and all of these species and all of these, all this different technology. And all, like, there's just so much. And so when we do an article on Hylax, for example, like we did in the uh, Attack of the Swarm AP, well, we spend all eight pages or eight pages talking about Hylax. And we don't have room to like take another couple of pages to talk about one of Hylax's heralds. Like, we want to know about Hylax, right? And we and we we do all this stuff for Hylax, and we still don't have enough room to do everything that. And that's only one deity, um, so we just haven't had time to get to them. I think um, we haven't had an adventure that really needed one. Um, did, did heralds make it into galactic magic, uh, John? Uh, not that I'm remembering. No, certainly certainly no statistics for heralds showed up. Yeah, um, yeah. there might be some references to it. But I think what Kate mentioned about like uh, Kadrakal having some heralds running around is kind of the yep. closest that we've gotten for a bunch of that. Uh, one of the one of the possibilities that could be fun to explore for us is the idea that heralds have been around, but they aren't around terribly much anymore, and it's partly because of the state of technology in the galaxy, because. Yeah. Back in the Pathfinder days, you could walk up to somebody and be like, I'm I'm a CR-15 Herald. And they'd be like, I have a longsword that does a D8 damage. And the Herald would be like, you you do you, kid. Um, I'm still really <laughs> impressive. Uh, but now a Herald shows up and like, Caden Kalian has a message for you. And suddenly this tier four starship says, according to the rules, my, my tachyon cannon does times 10 damage to not starships. <laughs> and suddenly you got no Herald for Caden Kalian anymore. Um, I would love to. I'd love to consider the idea that we have that in the past, like eighty six AG or so, there was this event called like the Herald Crisis or something like that, where a whole bunch of heralds and deities were like, "We don't like what's going on down here on Abalon. We're going to have a talking with them." And like the heralds got abducted, and the deities went, "Oh no! Oh, that's bad. Ha hang up. Can they do that?" Triune, what have your people done? Um, level of thing. It could be really interesting to, to show how, as technology evolves, how that can change the dynamic between mortals and the divine. Well, also, you know, I mean, we have to acknowledge that, like, you don't even need a herald anymore, right? Like, just call them on a comm unit. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, like, but my deity has filters set up. You know, like, like technology, technology has made a lot of these fantasy tropes kind of pointless, right? Like, you know, you can just, you can just, that's what the infosphere is for. And, and why can't Destiny use the infosphere instead of sending a, a, a herald to you or I mean, she's going to send you a dream. So maybe that was a bad choice anyway, but you know what I mean? Um, exactly. 
So yeah, yeah. Um, on the other hand, what if the Herald? Okay, Heralds get spaceships too. So I just want I just want your <laughs> Herald to show up in a tier fifteen starship, so that when someone yeah. you know tries to destroy them, they're like, okay, you know, two can play at this game. So <laughs> Shailen says no. Hit the nukes button. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, another another reason why we haven't gotten to these guys yet is because we haven't been able to do as much high level support for Starfinder as we did for Pathfinder. And Avatars, a lot of that divine stuff, you know, was all high level play. Um, you know, you, you know, you, a, a, a CR six Avatar doesn't make or or, or Heralds doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, now, fortunately, we're getting more high level play. We've got more stuff coming out. We did Devastation Arc. We've got more stuff coming out that hasn't been announced. But but so as the more we do that, the more likely that we are to be able to finally get some of those high CR. You know, where would we put a CR 15 avatar? I guess in Alien Archive, we're too busy doing weird monsters. Exactly. All right. Well, that's we're pretty much at the top of the hour. So we're going to see about wrapping up here. Time has been flying. We still have tons of unanswered questions, but that's just more fuel for us. You to be talking to us uh, directly. We are in the uh paizo event discord for the rest of the weekend uh jake and i both have ask me anything uh threads going on sure. um you can always drop your questions on paizo.com on our message boards where we uh, check things out and also if you have even more questions especially about the game itself in 21 hours we will be back here to uh have the ask the experts uh starfinder uh, q a so you can bring a whole bunch of your questions there we're also collecting those questions um on the discord server as well so yep. lots of ways to find us uh kate how can people find you yeah hi um so uh, you can follow me on twitter at kate baker gm um i'm also uh on discord and i'll definitely be around in the the PaizoCon discord uh for the rest of this weekend so feel free to say hi uh, if you see me on a channel there fantastic jake how can people find you at uh, Dr. Comics is my Twitter handle. And then all of my dev diaries, my video diaries that I've been doing, uh, are on the Banff channel uh, on YouTube. So Banff Network. Um, and, uh, and of course, I've got an AMA and I'm, I've been very active this whole weekend. So I had me up there. And I'm John Compton. You can find me at Archeotog on Twitter. I also hang out on the Starfinder RPG Discord uh, fairly frequently. Um, and I'm happy to engage with folks and speculate about the possibilities of Starfinder there. But that's going to be a wrap for Secrets of the Pact Worlds. Thank you so much for contributing your questions. Thank you again, uh, Kate, Jason, for uh, joining me on this panel today. Uh, we're going to be jumping into a Glass Cannon live play in just a few minutes. Uh, be aware that our Twitch channel will go dark for a couple of minutes on the lead up to that. So do stick around. Uh, the world has not ended. The new gap has not started. Um, so stick around <laughs> for some great fun. And again, we will see you back here, I'm sure, in about 21 hours for Ask the Experts. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Take care, guys.